and welcome to episode three of The Fox Hunt, Vixens by the Numbers, your weekly deep dive into the numbers of netball and statistics of super netball side, the Melbourne Vixens. This podcast is brought to you by Deakin, home to the world's number one sports science school. My name's Erin Delahunty. I'm a freelance journalist who reports on netball for Guardian Australia, the ABC and Fox Sports. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I'm on today. I'm coming to you from Echuca, the land of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay respects to the elders past and present. As you know by now, I tend to rely on the feel of games to inform my netball reporting, although I do love a good statistic naturally. But this podcast is all about adding in the real, that magical thing we call stats. And to analyse every Vixens game with me this season, I have Dr. Aaron Fox from Deakin. Aaron is a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods and a sports data and visualisations guru. To break down the Vixens' third straight win this season and take a look at tonight's game, here's Aaron, who is coming to us from Wadawurrung land. Thanks, Aaron. Um, going to be good to chat about the first home game for the year, the first one I've been able to see in person this year. Uh, but as you mentioned, nothing different with another win for the Vixens. Well, I joked last week, Aaron, that we might be a good luck charm for the Vixens in 2022. And maybe there's something in that, given, as you say, the Vixens had a great win against the COVID-ravaged Giants in their first home game at John Kane Arena on Saturday. The Vixens looked in control for most of the game and ran away 64-52 winners to lock in second place on the ladder ahead of tonight's game against the also undefeated West Coast Fever. Now, as you mentioned at the top, you were lucky enough to be courtside this week, Aaron. What did you make of the game? Yeah, I mean, it's always great to catch games in person versus on the TV and, um, you know, just that different perspective of uh, being able to see the different things happening on court. And Mm. something I was able to capture with this different perspective, and you'll be happy with this, was how well spread the Vixens' defence was in taking away the opposition's space. And I definitely think this is something we're going to chat about today. Excellent. So in this match, I think co-captains Kate Maloney and Liz Watson really led from the front. And Kira Austin enjoyed a night out against her old side with a full game at goal attack. But the defence end, especially Joe Weston, I think, also made another big statement. They really monstered that Giants attack line and delivered plenty of ball to their shooters. What were the key numbers that stood out to you, Aaron? Well, I feel like a bit of a broken record over these first <laughs> few rounds. because it's a good once problem again, to have. Was, yeah, it was the Vixens' ability to take the ball away from their opponent and score from these opportunities being key in the victory. Uh, the gains were 20 to 9 in the Vixens' favour, and the goals from gains were 16 to 5 in the Vixens' favour, which once again corresponded pretty closely to the final margin. And that's just something we've said over these first few rounds. And I think sometimes I forget that with the alternate possession style that netball provides it can be a pretty simple equation to beat your opponent sometimes you know they get the ball you take it away from them and you score um and this is pretty much what the vixens team is doing every week and a reason why they're coming out on top um the other thing that really stood out to me this match was um because it was a bit of a novelty so far this year was the first game where the vixens had no lineup changes uh, occurring no substitutions occurring across the match um So this is something to keep an eye on as this year progresses. Like this could have been to do with the fact they've got the short turnaround for for this week, saving some players to 
come on in tonight's matchup. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how often that occurs and how it plays out this year. Yeah, look, it felt a bit old school, didn't it? Seeing the bench players just sort of sit there all game. And we had we saw some other games across the round where that certainly wasn't the case, where we saw benches being emptied and lots of different things being tried, particularly by teams that were searching for their first win. But back to the Vixens, we have to start with Kira Austin, don't we? It was a bit of a I'm back baby performance for mine. In her first full game, she sh- showed glimpses of that pre-ACL Austin that we know and what drew the Vixens to her, I'd imagine. She really shared the shooting load with Conwenda as well, which I thought was notable. What did her digits tell us? And, and yeah, yes, we'll, we'll talk later about how you 100% helped manifest this game for Kira in yeah. your prediction as well. I, I like to think, you know, maybe we had a bit of a role in this. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I think the the pre-injury Austin, that's an interesting point to to make there because some of the numbers she put up were, were reflective of that. So it was obviously the highest scoring match she had in Vixen's Colours. She had 24 goals total, which contributed uh, about 39% to the Vixen's total scoring. Um, and as you'd expect with a high scoring match, this was her biggest contribution for the year. Uh, I had a look at her last full season with the Giants and across those matches in 2020, she made an average contribution of about 33% to their total scoring. So this match probably did feel a lot more like the role she played with the Giants in, in that last year, she was able to have a full season. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily just the scoring she got involved with this week. Um, she got involved around the circle, uh, giving 14 circle feeds that resulted in an attempt um, with all of these going in. So basically 14 goal assists. And uh, not just on the attacking end, a couple of really key defensive plays across the game with two deflections that resulted in some of those Vixens games. Yeah, one of those deflections in the first half in particular sticks out in my mind. There's certainly something special when a goaler gets a tip and then they're able to to convert it. They, it feels uh, doubly impressive, I guess. And at the risk of being predictable, should we look at the other end now, as I mentioned, the defensive effort again was mammoth. We had gains, intercepts, deflections, Delore, galore. And not just by Joe Weston and M. Mannix in the circle, but also Kate Eddie or Keddie, as the fans love to call her, who I think probably had her best game yet at, at wing defence this year. Yeah, for sure. Like it's just been building across the first few rounds and, and this one felt like a really big one for that defensive end. Um, so... Um, you know, again, like the match against the Swifts last week, a big big part of this win was the gains coming from those defensive players. Weston had seven, Mannix had six, and as you mentioned, Kate Eddy there had four. Uh, but they also had many deflections that didn't result in gains, uh, but likely frustrated and slowed down the Giants' attack when you're getting those tips and deflections in there. So those deflections that didn't result in a gain, Mannix had five, Weston three, and Eddy had two. Yeah, they really have to reset even if they get that ball, don't they? They get a throw in or whatever it might be. As a defender, you're taught that even those ones that don't end, doesn't end up with the ball are still really to be celebrated. And I thought that really did stand out from the Vixens. Yeah, it would certainly give you confidence as a defensive player and it just sort of wreaks that havoc into the, the opposition's attacking play and you know, throwing them out of what they're trying to do. Um, and... You know, speaking about these numbers of gains and deflections with no gain, um, these aren't the biggest numbers we've seen from both Vixens players and or other players from other teams across okay. the year. Not not the biggest individual numbers, but the the 
spread across the defenders and the depth here depth here is what's impressive and mm-hmm. you'll be happy with this i went on a real deep dive through um defensive statistical data from uh back in 2018 when champion data started recording both gains and deflections with no gain yep. um and you know in this vixens game we had three players with at least four gains and three players with at least two deflections with no gain. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 504 matches since 2018, this has only happened 19 times. So that's okay. only three, three and a half percent of matches since 2018. We've seen like this kind of broad uh, defensive game from three players out on court, which I think is pretty impressive. Yeah, and and shows why I think a lot of other teams will be sitting there quite worried about that defensive line, every team that is going to face them. Now, you were mentioning that courtside, you sort of picked up something on the defensive side that maybe we didn't necessarily see on the stats sheet. Yeah, you and I talk a lot about how defensive effort doesn't immediately come up on the stat sheet all the time. And I'm probably going to simplify the the defensive process here a little bit so, you know, jump in there and correct me if I'm if I'm doing that. Um, but you could see watching this game that the Giants offense was really getting slowed down. And I really saw Kate Eddy um, doing this effective sort of play around the circle. Um, you know, d- defensive players, it's not always about making gains or deflections, but a big part of their job, and this is where I'm really simplifying it, is yeah. to simply get in the way yeah. of the other team and, and their ball movement. Um, and I was watching her play and she around the the shooting circle as a wing defense, she obviously can't get in the circle and defend those shooters, but she was shifting and filling space around the circle, um, basically just making it harder to get the ball in, even though she wasn't allowed to go in there. Um, And this isn't going to show up as gains or intercepts on the the stat sheet, but if we dig into the Giants' attacking pace a little bit, so how quickly or efficiently they're able to to move the ball and how many possessions they're taking per 60 minutes of gameplay, um, this really dropped off for them from rounds one to two uh, by about five to 10%. So this play from the Vixens' defensive end was seemingly really effective at slowing the Giants' attack down. Yeah, wow. It's that real sort of hassle and harangue, kind of almost like a mosquito sometimes it's like that, that a wing defence has to do, just just annoy them and and sometimes call, you know, that physicality. We saw a couple of close-ups in the broadcast, I know, watching at home where, you know, she was making Maddie, Maddie Hay earn the touches that she did get and, um, you know, when, when you put in a contact, making sure that it was worth it, um, I think is probably another thing that great defenders do. Uh, but enough about defenders. This isn't a defensive podcast. It's now time for your favourite segment, Aaron. Watson, watch. How did Liz go? Yeah, look, I'll make this one quick again this week because it's it's very similar to last week. Uh, you know, Liz was once again in the top five in the league uh, for round three across all of those usual statistical categories. We're seeing centre pass receives, feeds, feeds with attempts and goal assists. Um you know, she's in the top five across the league, but once again, led all of the Vixens and Giants players in their match for these statistical categories. And I guess the extra thing I'm noticing across these first few rounds is she hasn't been number one across all these categories every week. Um, And, you know, this is potentially driven by the pace of the Vixens games, uh, but it's the consistency that's really impressive being in that top three to top five each week, which is inevitably going to result in her being right up there at the end of the season as we come to expect. 
It's funny how just used to, I guess, Vixen, Vixen's fans probably are to her her being there and doing what she does every week. So as we mentioned up the top, this week sees the first of two midweek fixtures across the season, meaning the Vixens have had a really tight turnaround, had Sunday off and will host the West Coast favourite John Kane Arena later today. We're recording this on Tuesday. So it's 6pm the game is and it really shapes... I mean, it should be the game so far of the season. Two undefeated teams, uh, West Coast Fever, really pushed um, in the last round, so they'll be looking to, to stamp their authority. The, the Fever, of course, with the Vixens' opponent in the 2020 Grand Final, which the Vixens won. Based on, on historical data, that, that Grand Final, obviously we saw them in the Team Girls Cup as well. Where do the Vixens know they can win this game tonight? Yeah, so... Looking at the the fevers numbers so far this year, this you know this might be a surprising stat to you, Erin. Okay. Could be the, okay. I'm waiting. The biggest kept <laughs> biggest kept statistical secret uh, of the year so far. Yep. That the fever. Yes. Have been good at scoring goals. Yes. Yes, they have. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, eighty two in round one, seventy in round two, and seventy seven in round three, with an average of seventy six. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I'm I'm being a little bit sarcastic here because over. <laughs> 2020 and 2021, the Fever have had the highest average score of any team in the league. Uh, but this is sat around 68 to 69 goals um, per match. So they're on even more of a tear this year yeah. with their scoring. Um, and so looking at this, I'm, I am a big believer in keeping things simple sometimes in sport and that winning is obviously about scoring more than your opponent. Nothing surprising there. Uh, and in something like netball, you can do this in two ways. You can score lots yourself or you can limit your opponent's scoring. Um, and looking at the way the Fever play and the way the Vixens have been playing this year yeah. and even some of the other teams this year, your best chance is probably to pin their scoring back and yeah. unsurprisingly yeah. gives you a good chance of winning. And if we look at their matches over 2020 and 2021, this has probably been the most effective strategy. The, in 2020, the Fever only lost one game where they scored over 70, uh, but they only won two games when scoring under 70 and lost the two games when they scored under 60. Yeah. Um, and in 2021, things were a little bit more balanced and the Fever won more games scoring under 70. But again, they rarely lose when they score over 70, just like they've been doing um, so far this year. So is the super simplistic version of that stop fouler, stop fever? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously other players that can score um, on the team, but, like, you know, she's scoring the majority of their goals. So, yeah, there's there's either a way of stopping her from, from scoring, stopping her from getting the ball, but, you know, really limiting the Fever's scoring is uh, going to put a big dent in their chances of winning. Yeah. Now you, you also wanted to highlight the margins that Fever wins or, or loses by as well. Yeah, and I think this is something that, again, you're going to be really happy with because off air last week, I feel like we had this exact conversation. Okay. Um, so it's good It's good to bring it to the podcast on air. Uh, but something interesting looking at the Fever's 2021 matches was, as you said, their margin in their wins versus losses. Uh, mm-hmm. So probably came to expect them having some big wins where they were winning by plus five or plus ten goals. Um and the margin in all but one of their wins was eight or more goals. Mm-hmm. But if we take the five games where the final margin was within five goals, they only actually went one win and four losses in ah. those matches. 
So you combine these two things, I guess the key numbers that the Vixens are probably looking for in a match tonight is keep the fever under 70 goals and keep the match tight. Uh, and that's going to really go a long ways to helping them win. Really interesting to think about that there's that pressure element that I'm sure Dan Ryan is across these kind of numbers as well about how do they um, how do they go when the heat comes, which is what we all love at the end of the game. Now, as we've mentioned um, in the previous episodes, we're really keen to get Vixens fans as much involved in the podcast as we can. If you've got a stat-related question or a query, we'd love to hear it. I mean, do you want to know about a specific performance or how it compares to an all-time record? Or are you wondering who's leading in a certain metric? Please let us know via your favourite social media platform by using hashtag the Fox Hunt pod and we'll look to include them in this segment, which is Fox Answers the Fans. We're getting some really great probing questions coming through, but please keep them coming because I really want to uh, stump Aaron before the season is out. Now, this week we have a question from a Twitter user who goes by the username Neats Lettuce, who's keen to understand... Um, how the Vixens shooters are sharing the seemingly sharing the load this, this season or not. They write, remembering back to 2020, I noticed that although the Vixens were winning, they didn't have individual high stats as players shared the load. E.g. Conwenda and Caitlin Thwaites were both in the top 10 shooters, but neither were in the best three. How does this compare to what's happening now with the goalers, Aaron? All right, so before we get to the now, we're going to take a bit of a trip down memory lane to, to start this one and I want everyone to think back to 2009, the first year of the ANZ Championship and the Vixens having a good year winning the grand final. Uh, and that year, looking at total goals scored, we had Caitlin Thwaites sitting at number three in the league and Sherelle McMahon sitting at number 10 in the league. So um, th this can be kind of our goalpost or mm -hmm. our standard uh, for, for comparing to uh, this first year of the competition. After that year, the Vixens had to wait until 2017 before they saw another shooter ranked in the top three for goals scored in a year. So wow. after that initial year, didn't see anyone right at the top of the league. But in 2017, um, that's when Kumwenda came in at number three for total goals and Tegan Philp at number seven. Um, and so even in another ANZ Championship year of 2014, the Vixens only had the number eight and the number 10 ranked shooters uh, in the league, mm. which, you know, it seems indicative of a solid but shared load yep. uh, between that year was Karen Bailey and Tegan Phil. Um, and so similar patterns sort of happened from 2018 to 2020 of Super Netball competition where the Vixens had two shooters in that top five to 10 bracket with this regularly flipping between Kumwenda, Thwaites and Phil. 2021, we saw a bit of a drop-off, which is not surprising given the, the results of that year and Kumwenda was only ranked number seven uh, with Stanton and Samerson at number 20 and 21. Yeah, wow. Yep. So I guess importantly, how is it looking this year compared to all of these previous years where uh, we had, you know, a, a good sort of contribution from multiple shooters in that, that top 10? Um, Kumwenda's having a great year, sitting at number three right now for total goals scored. And Austin and Samerson are sitting at number 16 and number 20. So we've currently got three in the top 20, which isn't bad. But I think if Austin, as she did in round three, can continue to improve her scoring um, and Samerson kind of does the same in that support role, mm -hmm. they could potentially push for a, a really good balance of three in that top 15, which is what we saw in a recent 2020 year of success. Um, 
And I guess wrapping all of that up, I think it's a fair pickup from our friend on Twitter here that it does seem across many years that compared to, let's say, other teams like the Fever and Firebirds, mm-hmm. the Vixens are a team that likes to share the load down that shooting end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we can see across some specific years they've had some good success in doing this. Mm. And it obviously gives def- defenders something else to think about when you have multiple people. You don't – I mean, we saw the Firebirds on the weekend really focus in on Fowler, I thought, and it worked for a while and it worked until it, it didn't work. So as- you, can only, you can only stop Fowler for, you know, a few minutes at a time, right? I completely – I tend to agree. I mean, as we're talking about now, the Vixens are taking on the Fever tonight at John Kane Arena before their round – Five clash against the Sunshine Coast Lightning in Queensland on Saturday. My goodness, things are moving fast this season, Aaron. So now before I put you on the spot and ask you for a performance prediction for the upcoming game, let's look at how you went last week. It was all about Kira Austin, this segment last week, and how she was going to have a big influence on the game, and wouldn't you know it, that's exactly what unfolded, Aaron. How do you know? Two from two. Pressure's I, on again, now to maintain. What what have you got? I'd, I'd like to me? say again, it's it's <laughs> fancy statistical models. Maybe Simone's listening to the podcast and helping me out with the game plans. I don't know. Um, this week, all right, let's start with the Fever matchup, and this is a real attack meets defense kind of game. I think yeah. that's what everyone's expecting. Yeah. Uh, my safe prediction for this match is that I think the way the Vixens defense is playing, that they'll definitely keep the fever to their lowest score for the year, mm. uh, which means it would be an end to their run of matches with 70 plus goals. That, that's my safe side of this prediction. My perhaps less safe or out there prediction here is that I think they can put a real dent in the fever's scoring average and keep them between that 60 to 65 goals for the match. And that would be a drop of about 10 on their current average. So Let's keep that as a part A and a part B and see how that goes next week. I'll hold you to both. Uh, okay, both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then for the Sunshine Coast matcher, I'll, I'll admit I haven't seen much of their games this year, um, but something I noticed in the, the numbers from their matches is uh, Laura Sherian has led the team in centre pass receives and circle feeds in all of their matches so far. Uh, but it looks like from having to shoulder that load, she's recorded some high turnover games mm. with seven and eight in rounds one and two, but did clean this up a little bit in round three with just four turnovers. Um, and I think if if Sherian slots into the, the wing attack position, which she's played a bit of time in so far this year, and the way Kate Eddy played in round three and how that defensive back end is kind yeah. of matching up, I think that can really shut down her centre pass receive role uh, and perhaps even force another high turnover game. Mm, it'll be, I mean, Saturday feels so long away, but I think you're right. Sherian was so good in her um, milestone match of the weekend. Um, she'll be looking to, to back that performance up again. Look, thank you so much for your time again, Aaron. I really appreciate it. And thank you everyone for joining us. 